The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is proudly brought to you by Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. A few years ago, a new kind of eatery appeared on Ponsonby Road. It had rotisserie chickens that were free-range, delicious salads, and was in an old fish and chip shop, so mainly takeaway. It exploded on the scene with queues out the door and sold-out nights, and from that first start, Bird on a Wire became one of the fastest-growing companies in the country, expanding into the city and two new locations and a larger Ponsonby all-day site across the years. Along the way, the business has taken them to China for a pop-up, and now their idea is going to get to even more people with exciting news. A national franchiser has bought the business with an eye to rolling it out further, taking free-range chicken and healthy food to the people. Sophie Gilmore, co-founder and co-owner, joins me now to talk the journey from idea to exit. G'day, thanks so much for coming in. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, tell me, what was the thing that started you on the bird on a wire journey what what made you want to open up a a, a free-range bird shop all right that's kind of two-pronged one of them was um by accident really on when we were about 24 on trade me there was a, a famous late night takeaway fish and chip shop listed on trade me and a flatmate at the time as a joke copied and pasted it to the flat chat and um that gave us the idea. We thought uh, there was four of us. I think we'd had a few drinks and thought it sounded like fun. <laughs> Give it a go. And then I guess the other part of that was once we bought the fish and chip shop, um, three of us had spent some time in Sydney um, recently. And what we thought was really amazing over there was the movement of people starting to outsource their meals, busy people that were time poor. And um, in Wallara in particular, there was a chicken shop that we loved and we thought that bringing the notion of that chicken shop to Auckland and specifically to Ponsonby would be a cool contribution to our neighbourhood. How does one almost accidentally buy a fish and chip store? How does that go about happening? Talk me through that. I think um, youthful naivete is um, really helpful in those situations. We were all working in professional careers that were... Um, outside of hospitality, but we had all worked in hospitality mm. our whole lives, essentially, from 16, 17. Most of us um, had worked in sort of fine dining front of house backgrounds. Mm. And I was still, um, as a young lawyer, actually, I was working at Kensington Swan as a solicitor, but I was moonlighting as a waitress at Ponsonby Road Bistro. So I think we had a, um, a nouse for it, and we were a bit addicted to it. So the idea of a project was appealing, and I think we thought we knew more than we did, so away we went. And the fish and chip store, did you buy it with an eye to then 
changing the concept or did you think you could make that better? Because I, I, that fish and chip store was what was the remnants of Ellen Peets on Ponsonby Road and I worked at Ellen Peets for years and years. Yeah, um, so... I actually hadn't been to Nina's Takeaways a lot, but I had heard of it, and I had seen the odd brown paper bag around the flat in the morning, so people used to go there on their way home from Ponsonby Bars. Um, I think that, firstly, the idea idea came to buy it, and we thought um, it sounded like fun, and directly after that, we thought about changing it into something that would be a great contributor to our Ponsonby neighbourhood. I don't think that it was that well thought out that we had a business plan and it was all decided at once. And so three months you ran it as what it was originally and during that time you pulled together the idea and the concept and the plan for Bird Bird on a Wire. Yeah, we did. So in order to get to know the space, we ran it as Nina's Takeaways, um, which could not have been more hilarious than it was. It was busiest between... 1am and 4am on Friday and Saturday nights. So you'd be wrapping up the dishes as the birds were chirping. Um, There's a whole lot of funny anecdotal stories from that time, but things like we'd open the lost property drawer and it would be all our friends' wallets. (laughs) We had loads of people um, that were friends chipping in and learning how to make burgers. We had way too much fun with a super pressure fryer where you can... Deep fry a whole chicken in six minutes. I mean, you can <laughs> fill in the gaps. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's so rad. And then pulling together the business, so um, the the brand, the concept, um, sourcing free range chickens, uh, redoing the, the the fit out and stuff. So did you throw in the day job as a lawyer and decide to go full chicken? No. Um, it was really back of the napkin stuff. We all thought, let's bring the notion of a chicken shop to Auckland. We thought that it would work. Um, we thought that we'd ask one of our friends to whip up a bit of branding for us, which um, a friend called Anna Co did really kindly. Um, we had one of us um, in the group was doing his Masters in Music at the time, was a real muso. So I think that the way we came up with the name was to scroll through his Spotify and type in the word bird and chicken repeatedly until we found the Leonard Cohen song that we all love. Um, And I think that in terms of strategy, I mean, there were probably four things that we all agreed on. We really wanted the food to be um, ethically sourced and top quality. So quality was something that we sort of hung our hats on from day one. Um, People, we wanted our business to be about the people for the people We wanted to work with um, like-minded people. Um, The neighbourhood, as I said, was important to us. We all lived and worked in Ponsonby at that time and we wanted to create something cool that contributed. Um, And sustainability for us was something that we all were really aligned on early on. We sort of didn't have an impact enormous that was enormous at that time, but we understood that as the business scaled and despite being a sort of back of the napkin start, we definitely were always ambitious that, um, our impact would be considerable. So we wanted to set ourselves up to minimise the impact on the environment. I remember when it started, uh, obviously, you know, paid attention to that spot. And it was great. Uh, queues out the door, sold out nights, uh, a, a real hit. Did that did that catch you by surprise? Or um, did it kind of appear, uh, did it appear bigger and easier than it was? Um. 
look, it definitely, using that short description, sounds a lot easier than it was. We, we had a really great following from the start. The people that appreciated the food, the neighbourhood, the people and the, and the sustainability element of what we did um, really cottoned on early and those people are still Bird on a Wire fans now. Um, but no, we had, we had um, bootstrapped to the extreme. So we were paying finance to Merrick Finance for the rotisserie loan because no one else would lend us the money. And we put ourselves in a pretty tight financial spot right from the word go. So um, we started looking at things like diversifying into the kiosk sites that we had in town. So I was still working as a lawyer at that point and there was nowhere to get a salad that you didn't make yourself, really. Um, and so because I understood the area and the market and my business partners did as well, we thought, well, let's give that a go. And so in order to utilise the resources that we were paying for, such as the rotisserie, we just diversified as um, tried to get as many revenue streams going as soon as possible. So before we knew it, we had two other kiosks. We had um, guys driving around, going into ad agencies and selling sandwiches and salads at lunchtime. And yeah, eventually that all caught up and our trade in store um, forced us to refocus and go back to the original model. But I definitely felt like we were head above water for a few years there. Wow. And so you, you jumped in, the, the business took off, you had to pay for it, and you opened up two other kiosks in short order. At what stage did you decide um, with all of that going on, because you'd be a logistics and supply business as much as anything else by then, and how many staff did you have after, after about a year? Oh, we probably had somewhere between 20 and 30 pretty much immediately. I think the nature of hospitality is that there are a lot of part-timers. Um, but, yeah, in order to pull off what we were trying to do, which was big borrow and steal every dollar of revenue that we could, we, um, we had a lot of moving parts and a lot of people on the go. And with the four founders, does, did that mean that people specialised into roles and became way more structured? Or, um, you, you know, did people fall off? I mean, how, how does that kind of uh, go as you grow? I wish we'd specialised earlier, Simon. <laughs> Um, what we really did was one by one jumped in. So our original um, partner, Richard, was in the store for, he committed six months and said, I'll get it up and running. I think we naively thought that it would be a bit of a side business, which is laughable now, but that was our ambition. And then um, my husband, David, who was obviously my boyfriend at the time, was at Teachers College, so he wasn't around, but worked part-time and worked evenings. Um after a year and a half, I, I'd left Kensington Swan by this time and I was working as a junior barrister at Shortland Chambers. I did 18 months there and it got to the point where it wasn't working. The model wasn't working financially and we knew that someone had to jump in and I just said, I'll do it. So I went first and then my business partner, Ben, um, was working in a management um, consultancy venture capital type role he jumped in about three months later so once we were all in there permanently um it totally changed the game and what did you do from there pull back from the kiosks and then go to new locations we did so um the opportunity to open the takapuna store actually came up a year before it happened so we had the small site in ponsonby two kiosks in town and we had committed to the takapuna store um, this is just 
hilarious. In retrospect, we just kept on saying yes to everything and thinking we could do everything. So um, at that point, we opened Takapuna. We were doing catering and we were attending a lot of music festivals. So at, at, at a point, it became too much and we refocused and realised that all of the chickens that we were cooking for the sites in town could more easily be sold to catering type opportunities. And so we sort of focused back on the retail stores at that point. And with the growth in the sites, you then went uh, Takapuna and then um, what's, what stage? How, how long have you been in business at this stage? Um, three and a half years it would have been by the time um, we had Takapuna open and we started thinking about closing the two in the city. And then Oraki and a larger Ponsonby thing in the course of just a couple more years. Yes, yes. Um, So the Ponsonby Central opportunity presented itself um, at the start of 2016 and we moved in... um, no, that's when we opened in Ponsonby Central, and that was the biggest risk any of us had ever taken in our lives. Um, we really felt as though if we wanted to play the big business game, we really needed to be where the big boys were, and we felt that that gave more credibility to um, the business that we were running. Um, we couldn't really fit down the road anymore anyway. But also the food gets more credit when you put it on a plate and serve it with a cold drink than it does when you put it in a box. So that was a real lesson for us in the perception of value of what we were doing. Um, And, yeah, as soon as we moved into Ponsonby Central, despite putting a lot of pressure on ourselves financially, um, we never really looked back. What what was the big risk there, the the site, the build, the fit out? The purchase price of the – so we had to buy the um, existing lease. Um, There was a cafe operating in there before. And – yeah, the bank agreed to fund half of it, and we had to between four of us um, beg, borrow, and steal the rest. And it was, um, yeah, an enormous ask. And so having built the business to that level and, and opened up, and you've all gone full-time and everyone's all boots in and, and called in all the loans and stuff, what, what happened to get a purchaser? coming into the scene was the plan to then keep growing and keep keep building it yourself or what happened there yeah I mean our our strategy has basically been continually to refine what we do refine the model try and be as profitable as we can and to continue growing to the extent that we're able to so we opened our um Oraki site in April at Easter exactly a year ago and um that's been really a really, really great lesson for us in getting the model right. We really thought that Takapoon is a little bit small, Ponsonby Central is potentially a bit big, so that was the, the footprint that we thought was right going forward. And um, we hadn't planned on tapping out at any point. I mean, as you know, we had um, dabbled in the China market earlier last year, and we thought that, um, yeah, as long as we were able to, we'd continue. We've all really loved our jobs still, which is, I think, um, a real privilege right up until the end. But we were approached um, at the towards the end of last year, and what we had spent time on in recent years 
were systems and processes and refining what we're doing and making sure that we were creating actual value. So it was kind of serendipitous, but the timing was right in the end. So you just kind of locked everything down, systemized it all, and then someone came and said, oh, this looks like an interesting model. And you're like, well, here's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what does that allow you to do? So tell me about the, tell me about the, the sale and what that will mean for Bird on a What. Yeah, um, I feel really excited about the future of Bird on a Wire now. And although it's a business, it really has been our life for the last six years. And we paid a lot of attention to the people that were coming in. And um, they're really good people. They have um, more resource available to them than we do. Like, as I just said, if we were to stay around once we got to the point of systemizing everything... We probably would have needed to sit still for a year or two before we expanded. But the um, the purchaser has some awesome ambitions to um, scale the business and finish what we started. So it's exciting. That's so cool. And as a kind of like an exit and stuff, like how does that feel like to have built this uh built this thing up um you, you know with your blood sweat tears and friends uh and 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 is there a mixture of like excitement and sadness so how does it feel yeah totally and timely this is my first day of fun employment is it? yes um, <laughs> congratulations thank you it's a really really bizarre feeling we went away as a team over easter um we just got back yesterday to to celebrate what we had achieved rather than to celebrate moving on. But I certainly felt that I needed some time to um, be thrilled about moving on. I mean, it's a, such a nice testament to the fact that we loved our job. It's A lot of it's the, um, the friendships. A lot of it is the experience. We feel so grateful for the opportunity and we feel also... Like it's a miracle that we pulled it off given the really stressful times that we've had as well. So yeah, it's been a really reflective weekend and um, the sale's been a really successful one for all of us. So on that level, we're really proud. Along the way, did you, you ever think it was not going to make it? Oh yeah. 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 I mean... What does a I tough day look like? I don't think I ever believed that, but we definitely thought that that was a possibility a couple of times. I mean... For us, we put ourselves under some enormous financial pressure and the team aspect, um, we have a really great team, I think helped us through. We pulled together rather than um, going away from each other in those times. Uh, we stayed focused and we, we really had to reconsider our business model over and over again. We had to stay flexible if we wanted to stay in the game. And so um, I feel on reflection that we did the best that we could in those situations, but it certainly does feel like there's a big heavy stone on your chest when business stress is really significant. What did your colleagues at the law firm say when you said, I'm throwing it in? <laughs> um, I, think the, I think that the response was mixed, you know? I think my mum, I remember her making a joke about me hanging up my legal gown for an apron, and um, I remember some people saying, well, you know, good luck to her thinking, you know, that's a bad decision. But there are lots of people that encouraged us as well. And actually, um, one of my bosses at Kensington Swan is the acting um, lawyer on our sale. So it feels really cool to have gone full circle and kind of closed the loop. I remember thinking 
just because I'm leaving law doesn't mean I'm losing my ambition and sort of quietly saying to myself, I think I can do it faster. And Yeah, I mean, someone said to me the other day, well, you wouldn't have saved the money that you've made if you stayed in law. And I think that's a point. So give it a go. And was that a plan, like to build something to exit? Like as the momentum picked up and you saw that the market loved what you were offering and that there was a lot of value that all of you could turn your hospital experience into tuning a, a really successful operation. Um, at what stage did it go from a couple of drinks idea to, did, did you write on a wall, we need to get this big and we need to make this revenue and we need to sell for this much? Yeah, look, we tried to do that the whole way through and we would um, get together and discuss our strategy each year. I think one of our greatest strengths has been having such a diverse team, but in terms of strategy and agreed strategy, that can be quite challenging. So we have different, as individuals, we had different aspirations for the business the whole way along. So it, it continued, as long as it continued to be something that engaged us all, then we were pleased. But one of us would probably quite like to have a really refined, more premium version of the three existing sites. And then being my business partner has always spoken about taking over the world. You know, he'd like to go into China. Mm. And then I think I sort of sat somewhere in the middle, but we were all constantly communicating about it rather than planning an exit. The exit definitely came at a, um, you know, a surprise, but a nice surprise. Tell me about China. You mentioned it there, and I read a fantastic thing that you put together for the spinoff uh, about your your journey to uh to China and, and the food sounded fantastic. But there was one thing that really stuck out for me when you said that there was, um, you'd, you'd set up the pop-up of uh, Bird on a Wire in, in Beijing and that they couldn't find a commercial supply of free-range chicken. So in a country of one point something billion people uh, where a lot of chicken is eaten, there wasn't a commercial supply of free-range chicken. How does that happen? Yeah, that was really um, a massive discussion that we had to have before doing the pop-up so friends of ours um run a hospitality incubator incubator called the hatchery um in beijing and also in shanghai now and so they said let's bring bird over let's test the chinese market and we thought why not this is gonna be great fun they then had a look at where to get supply of all the produce that we needed in order to replicate what we're doing in china and, yeah, free range does not really exist. So we then had to say, well, although we occupy a premium space, part of what's important to us in New Zealand is value, and we can't take the piss. People have to want to pay for the product. So we ended up um, saying to them, it is important to us, because if we were to go into China, we wouldn't go. Being non-free range has never been an option for us. So they had to go and figure out how to get some chickens that were I think something to do with France so maybe they're produced by French people or they originally came from France anyway they're in Taiwan they're frozen and then they get shipped to Beijing the guys in Beijing were then defrosting them brining them we already have like a six-stage chicken preparation process so yeah we added on to that and the Taiwanese birds were the winner on the day that's bananas and that the, the innovation in food is um, at different stages in China, even though it's such a food, um, it's such a mecca for food. Yeah, I think that the ideology and the values of every culture are different, and we tried not to be judgmental of that. I think that 
um, organics is probably more of a buzzword over there than free range. Mm. And so um, there is provision of organic products and there's obviously they have um, a really high end of the market that's population is substantial. But, um, you know, the word free range and trying to explain what that was to um, the Chinese public was quite a big part of what the team at the hatchery did. So they had QR codes on the table with pictures of chickens running around in pastures and explanations of what that meant and sort of like transliterated the words free range to, to explain what it was. That's so cool. And would you, having had a little foray into um, the China market, is that an exciting place to you to expand? It's so interesting. Absolutely. I mean, we, when it came back to it, we thought, well, one of us would really need to set up, um, pack up head over there and roll it out and we didn't have anyone jumping up and down (laughs) wanting to do that but there are other people over there that um, are really ready and willing to partner with um, international organisations so I think that you know if we did some sort of joint venture with a a partner on the ground there that would have been a, a really cool opportunity. The Chinese market is fascinating and the western concepts and the different iterations of them seem to be expanding a couple of the questions that we always ask um what are what are there words you live by are there things you tell yourself when things get tough or mottos you like or any bits of um wisdom um yeah look i think in business that um the old adage that um it's not the end of the world if things aren't okay and if if they're not okay then it's not the end I really think that we learned a big lesson um, with managing business stress and people talk about going to bed with the risk at night and I wouldn't change it for the world because you get flexibility and you get to be your own boss and you get to use the business as a vehicle for your values and there's so many things that I love about it but um, I think that you have to be prepared to go to bed with the risk and to hang in there in the difficult times because it's really true that there... um, is no such thing as a free lunch in terms of business success, I think. And in terms of advice that you give to people starting out in uh, business or wanting to be entrepreneurs, um, you know, who are thinking of buying the fish and chip shop, taking the leap, you know, what, what advice do you give people? Because you've got a, you know, quite a, a young and energetic team. There must be all kinds of um, people who ask your ideas. Yeah, look, I, I sit down with people all the time that are thinking about starting hospitality businesses or, or other ventures. I think one of the um, one of the things that I always say is just give it a go. I remember as a young lawyer being told not to sign a personal guarantee, but when it came to it, I was like, but I don't have anything to lose. <laughs> so I'm not afraid of a lease with a personal guarantee on it because I have to give it a go. And on the back of that, you have to make it work when you've got everything that you have whatever that is on the line. So it means that you have to be flexible and change what you're doing all the time. It means that you collect lessons along the way, but I think that um, most important thing is to just try because if you don't try, then you'll never know. And is there anything that you wish you'd known earlier? Anything that made things easier once you kind of got there? Yeah, look, it's a bit of a um, repeated lesson in business but I think um, playing to your strengths is extremely important and as a business owner I think that we thought that because we like food 
and loved hospitality that we were really qualified to get into business and there's a whole lot to learn and I think that in the short term you really do need to try and learn the whole business and as soon as you've done that then you can go back to focusing on what you're best at so outsource the skills that you don't have and focus on where you can add the most value um, otherwise you can get caught up putting out fires and working on all the urgent things but none of the important ones. But yeah, first learn it all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had to learn the accounts. I had to learn, I mean, marketing wasn't something I learned at law school, obviously. But, um, and, I've, and I've loved that. And I think that that's a really solid grounding going forward. But yeah, once you know how to operate your business and how it works behind the, um, you know, the coalface, then back to what you're best at, I think. And what are you, what have you got on next what's um yeah <laughs> wake up this morning yeah, well. and thought, off to work no um so this is my first day i i have a couple of um food charities that i'm um quite closely affiliated with and really excited to put some time into uh one of them is called dine aid and it's the hospitality industry's kind of way of raising money for the city missions at christmas time uh and the other one is a concept called Everybody Eats, which is a um, pay-as-you-feel dining concept that one of um, our good friends has brought to New Zealand and is on a mission to um, sort of set up the framework and gather what's required to allow the impact of what he's doing to spread to as many people in need as possible in New Zealand. Ah, that's so cool! Well, I can't wait to can't wait to see what happens next. And congratulations on a on a great journey. Thanks so much. Ah, that's so cool. Thank you for joining us, Sophie Gilmore, co-founder, co-owner of Bird on a Wire. Uh, thank you very much to Alice Wibberdell for producing, and thank you very much for listening. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. Brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.